Welcome to my Love Life Podcast, episode number 119, When You Are the Safe Person. It's May 15th, 2023. I'm your host, Lisa A. Lundy, author, blogger, YouTuber, motivational speaker, and clearly podcaster. I'm also a member of the Newsweek Expert Forum. What I do is I help people be happy, healthy, and well-loved, even when life is very difficult. As my disclaimer, this podcast does not constitute medical or therapy advice in any way. My music is by Howie Moskovich. When you are the safe person, this is going to be an interesting podcast because it is not something, quite frankly, that I've heard people talk about openly, frequently, or even at all. I talk about it, but it's not something that we commonly talk about. So let's dive in. If you happen to be new to my content, I hope you will visit my website at www.lisaalundy.com and enter my current giveaway because, of course, that would make me happy and you could win something free. Here's my disclaimer. I am not a therapist or a medical health professional in any capacity and nothing that I say in any of my content, whether it be this podcast or any other material, is designed or intended to be medical or therapy advice. You should, as a consumer, get your medical or therapy advice from a licensed healthcare provider or a licensed therapist. Now, if you happen to be listening to this podcast and you are feeling hopeless, or you are extremely depressed, or you feel as if your life has no meaning and you'd rather not be around, or you are feeling suicidal, I am asking you to stop and make a phone call and call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at one 800 273-8255. That number again is 1-800-273-8255. What I promise you is that there is help available for you. I promise you, you are not alone. And I promise you that you can get through this with support and help from the services that are available. So I hope if you're feeling that way, you will make that phone call. My next notice is for the deaf and hard of hearing community. Currently, I have transcripts for all of my podcasts on rss.com, my hosting platform. When a new podcast is generated and published, within a few hours, a transcript will become available for you. Eventually, (laughs) as soon as we can make it happen, uh, I will have transcripts for my podcasts on my own website, but currently they are only on rss.com. The other thing for the deaf and hard of hearing community is I am working as much as I can to improve my flow of speaking, my speed, my pronunciation, in order that you have a more useful and valuable transcript. So I beg your compassion and forgiveness I am working on improving. All right, so when you are the safe person, well, oh my goodness. So those of you who've been listening to my podcast know I'm a research fan. (laughs) Research helped save the life of someone I love dearly and has been transformative. I did do a little mini peek at PubMed, that's P-U-B-M-E-D, PubMed Central, under the term emotional safety And it was like I came up with nothing. I think there were three research pieces really not applicable under an advanced search and then zero research pieces under a different advanced search. So I think that while this is extremely important, we might be lacking a body of research. Now I say we might be because it's possible that emotional safety, that they use a different term in PubMed than what I searched under. So I am taking full responsibility if there is indeed a rich body of research that I missed. So it's possible that I missed it, people. I I don't know. Um, But it is certainly not something that we're widely talking about. Now, for myself, I will say that this podcast is based on a lifetime of both 
being a safe person for someone else and having safe people for myself. So I'm blessed or fortunate or lucky that I've had safe people in my life for myself and I've been the safe person for someone else. So this is really an experience-based podcast as opposed to a research-based podcast, although I will be talking about the research on trauma as it applies to this topic. So when we talk about safety, we typically talk about physical safety, environmental safety, emotional safety, and then of course, one of my favorites, economic safety. And economic safety is when you have the absence of economic or financial, economic abuse or financial exploitation, which unfortunately is very common in the U.S. and in the world. So this podcast is really talking about safety with respect to your emotions. So if you're in a domestic abuse situation, you might be physically unsafe. You might have economic abuse going on. And this podcast is really not for those purposes. I do have other podcasts that will help you if you're in domestic abuse or if you're being economically abused or you have dangerous people in your life. So growing up in society and in particular in America, we have the situation which we know from the research is valid which is we have many young children and children growing up in families where they're not allowed to be sad or they're not allowed to be angry or they are not allowed to have what I call a dissenting emotion an emotion that's different than the pack or the family in which case that young person, child, teen, young adult, their emotions are being invalidated. Their emotions are not being validated. And then they are left, usually, more often than not, left feeling emotionally unsafe, that their emotions are not safe because look at what happens when they express their emotions. So what's very ha helpful is to have emotionally safe people in your life. And tragically, we don't, we have people that do not have safe people in their lives. Now, if you are lacking emotional abilities, which is highly likely given the statistics on the, the percentage of population that has high emotional intelligence, you can still be a safe person for another person. But it might be harder and you might not make the cut. So the reason that this podcast is important, in my opinion, is because it is both healthy and helpful for an individual to have safe people in their circle to help them get through life and deal with uh, their emotions. And it is definitely healthy and helpful to feel safe in your life, with the people in your life. There's probably very little that's worse than feeling unsafe with your emotions, with your family, your friends, your spouse, your partner, your coworkers, or people in organizations or in the circles you run in. Now, if you happen to be the safe person for your child or your spouse or your sibling or your best friend or whomever, it is important that you understand what that might mean at some point because it's not all it's not all roses and puppy puppy dogs. I hate to tell you, I hate to break it to you. Now being the safe person can be amazing because you've got love and you've got laughter and affection and having good times and that's part of being a safe person is the love and affection and good things. But there's a little kind of almost darker side. So um, what if this is analogous to, in my opinion, is when children are growing up, if they have a safe parent, it's usual or typical or normal that they will act out, be mean, say things and do things with their safe parent that they would never in a million years consider doing with their unsafe parent. So it's, it's almost like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, or however that goes, where they will behave one way with a safe parent and completely different 
with a parent who's unsafe, which if you are the safe parent, that might be confusing to you. You might have these moments of like, hmm, they won't ever act like that around their father or their mother. That's very interesting. And this is part of what what is the explanation underneath that dichotomy in a child's behavior, which also goes into adulthood. So, so when we're talking about adults, adults, much like children, can act out, they can project, they can be mean or cruel, they might be discharging displaced or misplaced anger, blaming you, or doing other painful things because you are the safe person for them, and they are usually lacking emotional abilities or emotional regulation or many other things. So why this podcast is important is because you, I hope, will want to be the safe person for people you love. I hope you would want that. And you also want to have safe people for yourself. It's really, it's really valuable. It's extremely valuable. So getting your own mental and emotional fitness in order will be wildly helpful. And what will also be helpful is understanding how this might go when you're the safe person if it goes off the rails or goes sideways. Now, this does not apply. This whole body of this podcast does not apply to narcissists, psychopaths, sociopaths, or other people who have mental health problems or issues. This does not apply to them because they will do things maliciously, malignantly, on purpose, be mean, be cruel, be hurtful, on purpose because of their mental health diagnoses. And and by the way, we have a rich body of narcissists, psychopaths, sociopaths, and other people with mental health issues that are not clinically diagnosed. They're not clinically diagnosed because many of those people are afraid to go into therapy or will not engage in marriage therapy. And only a few of them that are so filled with hubris and, you know, just so full of themselves will dare enter therapy, marriage therapy in particular, because they think they'll be able to con the therapist forever. And then woohoo, some of some of them get a diagnosis. But much of the people I'm talking about, when I'm talking about narcissists, psychopaths, sociopaths, and other mental health issues, they're just not clinically diagnosed. And I suspect the the percentage estimate of how many people there are that fall into that category is probably very low. So narcissists, psychopaths, sociopaths, and other people with certain mental health conditions, not all mental health conditions, but some mental health conditions, uh, make people feel unsafe. And they make people feel unsafe because they are unsafe. So this body of this podcast does not apply to those individuals. And um, unfortunately, sometimes people are very good at hiding their true self. They're very good at hiding their true nature. And sometimes it will take you a long time to figure out, ooh, that's a narcissist. Ooh, that's a real psychopath. And um, because they're a wolf in sheep's clothing and they're hiding their true selves. So what does it look like when you're the safe person? So we're going to start there. And, and of course, the easy part when you're the safe person is the love and affection and sweet, tender moments, laughter and joy, and all the great stuff. That's, that's the wonderful side of being the safe person. But the other side of being a safe person is that you might end up getting what I have termed. So this is a made up term. I'm not, don't go Google this. I don't know what you'll find. I don't know what you'll find. You may find nothing. But my made up term is an emotional beating or an emotional whooping. And what this looks like is you're the safe person for another human being. And that person has either gotten triggered or they're working through some trauma, or they have emotions that they can't deal with or face, and you are the safe person, so they verbally unload on you, or it could be in writing, or it could be in text, or however, 
and it usually involves projection. It may involve passive-aggressive anger or blaming, or it could also involve outright lies. And, you know, if they're splitting, which I will talk about shortly, if they're splitting, then you are the villain and you are this evil, bad person. So there's all kinds of things that can prompt, in my opinion, an emotional beating or an emotional whooping. And they're, they're painful. <laughs> They are, they, are not, they are not the happy side of being the safe person. But it's important for you to understand that this can happen because you will love people and care about people who do not have emotional regulation skills or anger skills or they get triggered and you're their safe person. So if you, so emotional beating or emotional whooping is one, one aspect, and sometimes they will do deeply hurtful things, or there could be trauma bonding in place, which is a whole nother thing I'll talk about. But what's important for you to understand is that this, this is a dynamic that sometimes happens when you're the safe person. And if you recognize this you may have done this to other people I mean I hope not but it's it's okay if you have you just want to become awake and aware to how you are and how you do life and if you are the safe person though and you receive this emotional beating or whooping or something very painful or hurtful was done to you I, I'd never recommend that you just sit around and accept abuse or bad treatment I'm not a fan of that I don't recommend that I never recommend that and at the same time, depending on the circumstances, you will have to, you know, take some action. It may not be prudent for you to defend yourself if you're getting an emotional beating or an emotional whooping, because if the person who's doing the beating or whooping is someone you're close to and they're an irrational thinker, they're not they're not talking to you rationally. Or if they're projecting, it's unlikely they're aware that they're projecting. So I don't recommend you just sit, sit back and take an emotional beating or emotional whooping, but sometimes that may be how it goes. So I have some other recommend, recommendations. If you get an emotional beating or an emotional whooping, number one, you're going to have to get through it. Number two, you will definitely have to deal with your emotions. That means identify how you're feeling, where you're going to feel hurt, shocked, you know, you know, upset. It's terrible. And, but then you're going to want to manage and process your emotions, which is something that we in society are not very good at. And hopefully by the end of the week or soon, I will have a diagram with corresponding text that explains how I manage and process my emotions, which I have not been able to find anything remotely like it on the internet or in PubMed, despite my repeated and ongoing searches for it. And I am providing that on my website as soon as I get the graphic picked up, because I believe it will be helpful to you. It's not a one, two, three step process. It's circular. And I'm providing here's the elements that I use because I have been told repeatedly I'm extraordinary at managing and processing my emotions. So if you are the safe person and you get something, either something very hurtful has been done to you or you get this emotional beating or whooping, you will have to, in my opinion, deal with those emotions. Because if it's somebody you love or somebody you care about, or it could be your, you know, your best friend for 20 years, or it could be an older or younger sibling or a relative or a coworker, you know, you hopefully want to maintain a relationship. And if you can bring wisdom and understanding and psychology to the mix to understand why did they do that, it's very helpful. So the next piece, which leads into this, which is the trauma basis for this whole nature and value of having a safe person. So we have a society, in my opinion, that I, I suspect strongly there's hardly a person, there's hardly a person who hasn't experienced some form of trauma. Now, we do know from the adverse childhood experiences research and testing that adverse childhood experiences are the norm. They are the norm, not necessarily having three or four, but 
having childhood adverse childhood experiences is the norm and that's a a form of trauma. So I want to introduce you to some terms I mentioned in a podcast last week, and I think it's important as it relates to you being the safe person. And this research is from Jennifer J. Freyd, PhD from the University of Oregon, who is, from what I can tell from my research, the originator of both betrayal trauma and betrayal trauma theory from her 1991 presentation at Langley Porter Psychiatric Institute. So according to Jennifer Freed, betrayal trauma refers to a kind of trauma independent of the reaction to the trauma. So it's independent of the reaction. And here is right from her research, a quote, quote, Betrayal trauma occurs when people or institutions on which a person depends for survival significantly violate the person's trust or well-being. Childhood physical, emotional, or sexual abuse perpetuated by a caregiver are examples of betrayal trauma, end quote. Well, I think what's interesting about betrayal trauma is I was thinking about this since I recently learned about betrayal trauma and Ms. Freed's research is, well, we, we think, I think we have most trauma that fits into the betrayal. Not all trauma, but it seems to me an extraordinary amount of trauma fits into to be, betrayal trauma. Her next term, which I think is very important if you are going to remain being a safe person for someone else, or you've had trauma and you want to have someone be safe is her term called betrayal blindness. And this is fascinating. I actually think we should call, we should have a term called trauma blindness because I think as a society, we are kind of a little bit blind to all the traumas that are going on in the world and in life and in childhood in particular. So according to Ms. Freyd, betrayal blindness is the unawareness or not knowing or forgetting that people have towards betrayal. So this blindness may extend to betrayals that are not even traditionally considered traumas, uh, such as adultery, inequities in the workplace and in society. So we have victims, perpetrators, and witnesses to a betrayal that may have a blindness to it. And that is sometimes to preserve relationships, institutions, and social systems upon which they depend. So you could understand if a child does not feel emotionally safe and there's a betrayal of of them being cared for emotionally, they might become blind to it because they are dependent upon their parent or parents to continue to care for them. Now the next piece may be even more significant than I think I originally thought, which is called trauma bonding. And trauma bonding is not you and your friends sitting together over a cup of coffee and bonding over your different traumas. Trauma bonding is when a person who has been abused develops an unhealthy attachment to their abuser. So this is the bond between an abuser and the person who's been abused. And the people who are most vulnerable to trauma bonding are those with a childhood history of abuse, whether it was physical, emotional, sexual, or neglect, or whose childhood environment was volatile, neglectful, or abusive, and I'm going to add, or chaotic. So the victim in the trauma bonding relationship The victim of abuse may defend the actions of their abuser. They may feel a sense of loyalty. They may isolate from others because trauma can create powerful emotional bonds that can be resistant to change. So following abuse or an abusive incident or series of incidents, the abuser or the perpetrator will often try to redeem their reputation and redeem themselves and create this bond by offering some kind of help or gesture of support. So 
in my opinion, this aspect, this trauma bonding, is an extremely important concept to understand because it is, it is, in my opinion, what the majority of narcissists, psychopaths, sociopaths, and mentally unwell people will engage in. And if you are the safe person, whether it's for a sibling, your child, your coworker, your best friend of years, and they have gotten bonded with their abuser, that is very likely, if you're the safe person, may present as a big problem for you because what a narcissist, a psychopath, a sociopath, or a mentally unwell person will do is they will engage in a smear campaign, character assassination of you, vilify you, and um, sometimes cause the victim, you, the person who you're safe for, to split you. And when someone splits you, they make you all bad or all good, and that splitting, which we're not ta commonly talking about either, and we should be, in my opinion, splitting is a dissociative behavior. It's in the dissociative behavior diagnostic global category. And so when someone splits you, in this case, um, you become all good or all bad. Well, if you're dealing with, if you're the safe person and the person that you're safe for has been abused, likely, very likely, and their abuser is bad, like a psychopath, narcissist, sociopath, etc. It's very likely that the person who you are the safe person for may split you. They may have to make you all bad because they have this trauma bond or they're bonded with their abuser. So it's very helpful. And this, by the way, people will split organizations. They will split events. They will split situations and, and either the event or the person or the political party or the whatever belief or institution becomes either all good or all bad. And if you're all good, well, then you're all good. But if you're all bad, you're vilified and you're just made out to be a horrible person. Now, the next piece is I just have to mention this, which is we're not, in my opinion, generally talking about trauma, in my opinion. And we're generally not talking about what our responses to trauma. I mean, I'm still in the miraculous disbelief. How did I get to be this old and not know, not ever hear out in the world that both depression and anxiety can be responses to trauma? Like, I just can't understand how did I get to be this old and never hear that? Well, I don't think I ever heard it, not because I'm not well read or not because I'm not awake and aware, because I think we're not generally talking about it. So I just want to give you some, the flavor of trauma responses, because this is underneath the, the core reason why people need to have a safe person. People need to have safety with their emotions to function as human beings. You need to have safe people or you need to have a safe person and people need to have a safe person for themselves. So here's just a general kind of flavor of trauma responses. I already mentioned depression and anxiety, exhaustion, confusion, sadness, agitation, numbness, disassociation, persistent fatigue, sleep disorders, nightmares, fear, flashbacks. Uh, it, drama can impact your physical, cognitive, behavioral, and social and developmental areas. And it can come up as overworking, self-medicating, substance abuse, disordered eating, compulsive behaviors like gambling or other high-risk or injurious behaviors. And um, it can cause physical symptoms, chronic health problems, gastrointestinal, cardiovascular, neurological, respiratory, dermal, all kinds of physical health problems. Well, isn't that what's going on in the world? We have a world of people who are not physically healthy and are struggling with their health. How much of the health symptoms people are having are related to trauma? Well, I don't know, but it's helpful for you to understand that and understand the underpinnings of trauma if you are the safe person. It's also helpful if you want someone who's safe. So, 
The emotional elements, I've already mentioned that if you, if someone, if you're the safe person and it's all puppy dogs and roses and everything's great, you don't need any help with that. Nobody typically needs help identifying, managing, or processing their emotions when they fall under the happy, good, love, you know, umbrella. It's the difficult emotions that people need help with. It's the difficult emotions that people have trouble facing and dealing with. And it will be very important for you, if you're the safe person, to manage and process your emotions and be, could become good at that. I mean, it will be really helpful. It's also helpful if you maintain your own character and dignity, especially if the person you're safe for engages in hurtful, mean, or cruel, or projecting, or does anything that's really not so great, which I almost want to promise you that will happen at some point. So, Keeping people's confidence will make you trustworthy and help you be a safe person for others. And the next piece of this, I really want to address parenting and children and parents, because this is where this idea of not feeling safe with your emotions originates, in my opinion, for most people. It could, it could happen later in life when, if you end up in a domestic abuse situation or some situation where you're being exploited or used, but predominantly my hypothesis and theory is that this mostly originates in childhood when a child feels unsafe. So if you are the safe parent uh, and your child or your adult child begins to start to deal with their trauma, their childhood trauma or adverse childhood experiences, what is going to be extremely important is that you ditch your ego, your pride, or your sense that your child had an amazing childhood. I'm sure you did the best you possibly could to give your child everything that you possibly could. I'm, I'm sure of that. We, we as parents all do the best that we can. My request is that you be open and willing to consider and take responsibility that it might not have been all roses for them and that they have things to say because this is an area where some parents will fail. They will bomb out. They will be unwilling to take responsibility for their child's experiences of growing up in the family. And your child's experiences of growing up in the family are going to be different, most likely, than your perceptions or your view. And some parents, unfortunately, tragically and sadly, are too wounded or too damaged or not mentally and emotionally fit enough to handle that conversation. And what they then do is tell their child they're wrong, you had the best childhood, I did everything for you, and they basically dismiss, demean, or outright, you know, call their child or adult child wrong for expressing themselves, which in my opinion is basically like throwing salt in the wound. So right now I'm talking to parents and the importance of parents to be able to open their heart and listen and be with whatever their adult child or adult child is saying about their experience growing up in the family. Now, if you happen to be a child or an adult child and your parent refuses to take responsibility for either their behaviors or the environment that was provided for you or your experiences as a child, this is very unfortunate. It is very heartbreaking and tragic and sad, but it is a further indictment that they, your parent, is not emotionally or mentally all fit. And we do have parents who are deeply unwell. They may be functioning and getting through life, but they are not emotionally and mentally fit. So if you are the child or adult child and your parent refuses to take responsibility for how you felt unsafe or, you know, your, your experience, you are not stuck. This is not a deal breaker to ruin your life. No, no, don't let anybody or anything ruin your life. I'm not a fan of that. You can, but I'm not a fan of that because 
you can heal from it, you can grow from it, and you can break the family cycles. Very likely, because we know about generational trauma, that your parent or parents are simply uh, perpetuating the cycle and continuing how they were raised. You, however, can break the cycle because you are worthy, you are deserving, you are lovable, you are lovable, and you have this beautiful future if that's what you choose. Much of life involves choice and you get to choose what you want in your life and how you are going to be as a parent. Now, when you're a child growing up, you frequently don't have a lot of choices because your parents are providing the environment, but now you can make different choices. And I, and I do recommend, by the way, if you happen to have the misfortune of having a parent who says, no, no, I'm not buying that. I'm not going to accept that, that, that you bring some forgiveness. They're, they're probably have done the very best they could with their limited skills and abilities. And forgiveness is powerful for you. It has nothing to do with them. Now, if the other parent is a psychopath, a narcissist, a sociopath, or otherwise mentally unwell. Uh, this is very important if you're the safe person and the other, if you're the safe parent and the other parent is unsafe. First of all, your children probably figured out at a young age that their other parent was unsafe. They probably did, and that's why you saw them acting one way with you and another way with the unsafe parent. But it's especially important if your children have an unsafe parent, if the other parent is unsafe, that you really get to work on yourself and you really make sure you are mentally and emotionally fit because your child, even if they're 30, 40, 50, whatever age, is still going to need you because it is extremely likely that the narcissistic parent or the psychopath parent or the sociopath parent or the mentally unwell parent is going to continue to inflict trauma on your child even when they are an adult. It's really sad. It's actually just tragic that we don't have some better system for interrupting this. But unfortunately, as far as I can tell, we do not because we do have... CEOs and high-level executives that are psychopaths or sociopaths or deep narcissists, and they get to go on life, living life as if they're not doing anything wrong. So you, if you, if the other parent for your child, adult or, or young child, is mentally unwell, a narcissist, psychopath, sociopath, or otherwise, it's really important. It is really important that you get your life together, that you get your emotional and mental fit, fitness in order because that's might be the only thing that saves your child as an adult or as a child. And um, I understand you cannot control the unsafe parent, but you can bring clarity, mental fitness, emotional fitness, rational thinking, and all of the important things to help your child or your adult child. Now, my next piece is if you happen to realize that someone is unsafe for you, and this will happen, this will happen from time to time, because sometimes you have to get to know someone for many years before you see who they really are. And sometimes, much to your chagrin or shock, you recognize that, oh, that person is not only unsafe, that person is actually dangerous. So if that happens, my request is that you do not beat yourself up, that you do not be hard on yourself, because some people are exceptionally good at hiding who they are. So when someone hides their true nature or, you know, is extremely good at being deception, deceptive and manipulative, you cannot, you can, but I don't recommend you beat yourself up or be hard on yourself, but you will have some choices to make. You can give them the choice of cleaning up their act and getting therapy or making things right. And, you know, whether you do that or not, that's up to you. I've done that in the past and the, the sickest people, by the way, are not going to clean up their act. They're not going to go to therapy because they're really, really deeply unwell. 
in which case you will have to make some changes to your life. And in particular, you will, or I, I suggest strongly, that you deal with your emotions, manage and process all of them out. Because if, if you've been, uh, if you thought someone was safe and you wake up one day through a series of circumstances of situations or events and realize, oh, wow, they are not at all who I thought they were. Oh boy, this is bad. It would behoove you to identify all of your emotions and then manage and process them. Now, with respect to parents, I do have to add this part because there will be some parents who will say that their child or their adult child is unsafe for them as a parent. So this often happens because a child or an adult child has called their parent out on some bad behavior or something that they did. And as a result, the parent lacking emotional skills and abilities deems their child or adult, adult child as unsafe. And in the Lisa Lundy realm, in the Love Life podcast realm, you don't get to do that. You can do that, and you should do that, if your child has physically threatened you, or you are in physical danger, or you may be physically harmed. That's different. I'm not talking about that. I am talking about where the situation where some child or adult child confronts their parent, whether it's in writing or verbally or through text or whatever communication, whatever means, and the parent then feels attacked. They feel attacked, and so they cast out their child or adult child as unsafe because they feel, quote-unquote, attacked. Well, that's not real danger. That's imaginary danger because words are not going to kill you. They can hurt you. They can do a lot of things, but it's not physical danger. You're not in imminent harm. But this is what some parents do, and some parents will even further punish their child or adult child for speaking up. So if you're the parent, it would be extremely helpful for you to get to work on yourself because you, as, as a parent, in my opinion, should be able to listen and hear your child or adult child out if they confront you about their childhood. That's just what I think. So if you're the parent and your adult child or your child confronts you and you're in the middle of deep, deep trauma or very bitter life hardship or, or something has happened, you could say to your adult child or child, you are very important to me. I love you very much. Your feelings and your thoughts matter to me deeply. But right now, I am in the middle of a major trauma or hardship, and I just don't have the emotional bandwidth to handle this conversation right now. What I'd like to do, because you're important to me, and your thoughts and your feelings are important to me, is pick this up as soon as I'm able, as soon as I can get through this, this or that or whatever they're dealing with. Well, you could say that to a child or adult child, and that would make a difference. That's not the kind of conversation that we typically are having with children or adult children. So my caveat is, if you are the parent, unless your child has physically threatened you and you are in physical harm's way, you do not get to say, oh, I, my child attacked me, my child is unsafe, because they confronted you about their childhood. That's my opinion. I will own it as my opinion, and I will stand by that as my opinion. Now, if you're listening to this podcast and you realize, hmm, I don't think I have a safe person. Hmm, do I have a safe person? I think it's more common than not, or more common than we might understand, that people don't have someone who's their emotional safe person. That, by the way, would be a good poll for my Gallup poll friends who I haven't made friends with yet. They're not even on my list, actually. I have so many other things I'm working on. So if you don't have someone who you feel is safe, my request is do not beat yourself up. Do not beat yourself up, but you want to put that on your list for 
something to look out for. And sometimes you can find it over time. Sometimes you can find it in clergy or a therapist or a support group. Or you could, I'm not suggesting this, I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of throwing it out there. You know, old people, by the way, make really great safe people. I mean, the right old people. There's always dangerous people. You don't have to leave the country or your city to find dangerous people. But Typically, I find older people, old, old people are often very safe because they're usually retired. They are often lonely. They just have love and affection to give and not enough people to give it to. So you could take a box of candy and go sit in a retirement home and make some new friends. But you do have to be careful. I mean, you always have to be careful. But if you don't have a safe person listening to this podcast, my other suggestion would be bring love and affection wildly into your life and happiness wildly into your life and trust that the universe, by doing that, will bring you the right people. Now, my next mention is about the power of love and compassion. Hopefully, at this point, you are getting a sense that I'm a strong believer that we have compassion for others in particular, when they behave badly. Of course, that assumes they're not the narcissist, psychopath, sociopath, or whatnot. But that you bring love and affection to the people in your life, and especially if you are that person's safe person. You're that person's safe person because they might not have someone else. And the power of love and affection I discuss in my podcast titled the Lost Art of Love and Affection, and also in my podcast titled uh, Neuroplasticity and Psychoneuroimmunology. Love and affection is life-changing, I promise you, and is extremely important to provide when you're the safe person. And that might mean you get an emotional beating or whooping, and you have to deal with your emotions, manage and process them, and come out on the other side with love and compassion for this person that you do care about and their inability to deal with their own emotions. Because I, pro I promise you, anyone who gives you, assuming they're not a narcissist, psychopath, or sociopath, or that in that genre, a re regular person, if they do an emotional beating or an emotional whooping on you, they are going to usually be viciously hard on themselves. They will beat themselves up worse than anyone ever could, in my opinion and in my experience. So, you know, you don't need to throw people under the bus. If they treat you badly, they'll do it. They'll, they'll take care of it. So my next suggestion for you in this category of being the safe person is is that you work on your emotional and mental fitness. Now, I have a list here. Now, in, in therapy or in clinical psychology, they will often use a word about how functional you are, and I don't think that's really the right uh, terminology because I don't think it's as uh, all-inclusive as I would like to be. So I'm using the term mental and emotional fitness here instead of your functionality. So this is not an all-inclusive list, although there are 23 items, so it's fairly likely. And these are things that you can put on your list. Like this is like your checklist. You go to the gym for your body, so this is your checklist for doing life, your checklist for having power in your life, your checklist for happiness and having all the good stuff lies within this mental and emotional fitness list, which is number one, rational thinking. Number two, emotional intelligence. Learning to control your mind. Healthy self-esteem, meaning feeling good about yourself, feeling worthy, feeling deserving, separate from your status in life, separate from your accomplishments, feeling good about yourself as a person, independent of anything else. Healthy boundaries, coping strategies, not addictive coping strategies, not using addictions instead of coping, assertiveness, self-care, self-compassion, love and affection, physical health, and I have to say even though physical health falls under self-care, it gets its own mention because we have too many people who are not getting enough sleep or eating healthy foods or taking supplements or 
won't eat healthy or not moving, and they don't understand that what we know from psychoneuroimmunology is that your physical health impacts your mental health and your mental health impacts your physical health. So it is important that you take care of your physical body because your physical health impacts your mental health. Character and integrity, optimism, having a basic understanding of psychology. I hope from many of my podcasts you have gotten the sense that understanding the barest amount about psychology can help you be mentally and emotionally fit, can help you in your interactions with other people, can provide wisdom and understanding, and leave you with compassion and new strategies and new actions. Empowering attitudes and beliefs, learning how to generate your own happiness separate from your circumstances, dealing with your own issues and problems. Executive functioning of the brain is extremely helpful, and if you get to work on learning time management skills and boosting your time management skills and abilities, that will help the executive functioning of your brain. Being able to laugh at yourself and do it with and do it with and do it with pleasure. I know. I am all I I am laughing at myself all the time and I and I enjoy it. Uh, and people do laugh at me too. I'm well aware that people laugh at me. Um, being up to having your own life and having your own life be incredibly amazing. Learning how to have difficult conversations and boosting your communication skills. Being authentic and real and looking and understanding any traumas that you've had in life and how that may have helped you put yourself together, how you may have gotten put just how you may have gotten put together as a result of trauma or adverse childhood experiences. So there are 23 key points to growing mental and emotional fitness and any one of those would make a huge difference if you simply went out and decided you were going to have this great amazing life and you were going to work on generating your own happiness separate from your circumstances your life would change if you simply went and brought love and affection squarely into your life no kidding your life would change if you simply adopted empowering attitudes and beliefs instead of disempowering attitudes and beliefs, your life would change. Any one of those things will help you become more mentally and emotionally fit. So to wrap this up, I have some additional suggestions for when you are the safe person. And so number one is get emotionally and mentally fit yourself. Yes, get your house in order. First of all, it's extremely empowering and and people, it, it will be almost impossible for people to take you down when you are emotionally and mentally fit. Now, if you go out and you have this rich, amazing, happy, abundant life, people will want to take you down because they will be jealous or envious or resentful or angry or bitter or what have you. So the most powerful thing, when you're the safe person or if you just want to have an amazing life, is to get your mental and emotional fitness in order for yourself. Number two, recognize if you are the safe person for another. That's very helpful. It can help explain behaviors. It can help explain a lot. Number three, bring love and affection to the table. (laughs) I have to say, I'm a wild fan of love. I love the word love. I love everything about love and affection. And it's very healing. And it's, it's, it's just one of the best things in the world. So put that in your life. Number four, Understand the difference between a good person who is struggling, meaning they are struggling with their emotions or trauma or life, and the difference between a psychopath, a sociopath, a narcissist, or someone who has a serious mental health disorder. They are very different things. They are extremely different. They are night and day. They are not the same. And it would behoove you to be able to distinguish between the two. And I do understand. I mean, it took me years to learn. I had some bad, dangerous people in my, in my circle. My next suggestion, number five is don't take it personally. 
if you're the safe person and someone gives you an emotional beating or an emotional whooping or they do hurtful things or they're mean or cruel, please don't take it personally. It's not personal if you're the safe person. Now, if they're a narcissist, psychopath, sociopath, yeah, that's, that's a different thing. That's very different. But for a good person, don't take their behavior personally because I can assure you it's not personal. My number six, do not allow abuse. I'm, I've said many times, no, you don't allow people to abuse you. There will be times where if you are the safe person, the other person's behavior will become abusive or be borderline abusive or it might be outright abusive and you have to call it. You have to be willing to call it and say, uh, yeah, no, we cannot, we do not allow that type of behavior or that type of treatment. And if you know a little bit about psychology, it's extremely helpful because you could then say, well, it seems to me like you're splitting me and you're making me to be the evil villain. And that will never be the case except for in an imaginary world where we have lies as the basis of your reality. So you have to bring civil discussion and very difficult conversations to the mix sometimes, but you do not allow other people to abuse you. Number seven, recognize that you can't save people from themselves. There will be people who you are the safe person for and they will not get help. They will not change. They will not cop to their behaviors. They, they are just that mentally unwell and you cannot save people from themselves. At the same time, if it is your child who is having these issues, you, in my opinion, need to get on the road to do whatever it takes to help your child or your adult child who is struggling mentally. That's just my opinion. All right. My next suggestion, number eight, is be straight with people and have the difficult conversations. I understand the difficulty of some of the conversations that would need to be had. I've had them. I've had them. <laughs> People have said to me, oh my gosh, you did not really say that. Yes, I did say that. I have straight conversations with people because I live in the truth and I live in reality, not some made up reality, not irrational thinking reality. And I don't allow people to be mean, cruel, or abusive to me. And sometimes it means having very straight conversations. Um, and sometimes it means other things. Uh, number nine, and I already basically said this, but no matter what, do not give up on your child or your adult child. And I, I just breaks my heart that we do have parents who just really basically cast their child or adult child out when they don't like what their child or adult child is saying or doing. And I don't mean, you know, the far extreme things. I mean, confronting you about your behavior or what happened. So, I'm just not a fan that parents get to do that. Parents do do that. And if you want to do that, that's your choice and that's your decision. I just am not going to support that as a rule of law because I don't support that. I think parents who have children, it's your responsibility for your lifetime to love, nurture, care for, cheer on, your child and then adult child. I think that's your responsibility in my opinion, and I'll own that as an opinion. All right, so for your takeaways, it's time to recognize who you have in your life who is safe for you. And it is time to recognize, hmm, who are you the safe person for? My next takeaway is that it is time to get to work on yourself to make sure you are mentally and emotionally fit because that will help you in every area of life, but especially if you are the safe person for another one, another person and take people with you. Like this is like, life is like, Hey, you can have a boring life. You can have a painful life. I've had a painful, hard life and I've loved it. I've had the best time. I've had miracles and blessings beyond miracles and blessings, no matter what, people throw at me. And my request for my call to action is that you share this podcast on social media because we are not, generally speaking, talking about having safe people in our life or being a safe person. All right, that's it.
I'm Lisa Lundy saying thank you for listening to my Love Life Podcast, episode number 119, When You Are the Safe Person. I hope this podcast has given you some new insights as to who you might be safe for and who is safe for you and some other ideas. Please subscribe to my podcast so you get the new ones automatically because, of course, you wouldn't want to miss one. Please share this on social media so you can help other people with this idea and concept. Visit my website to enter my giveaway. I love you. Hang in there for now. That's it.